Hello and welcome to Tell Me How You Really Feel. My name is Renee and I'll be your host because I'm going to be here every single episode. So today I had the opportunity to talk to Hannah Hamilton. She's someone I go to school with. I just love Hannah. She's so inspiring. Probably one of the strongest people that I've ever met in my life. And I have been blessed to get to know her the past few months. And I'm so thankful to call her my friend. Probably one of my closest friends here at ABI. She's so funny, so genuine, and so sweet. And I am just so glad that you all get the opportunity to hear her opinions. And she's going to tell you how she really feels. And I appreciate that so much about her personality. She's so honest. And yeah, so... I'm going to stop talking and let's get right into it. Say hello, Hannah. Hey, everyone. So, Hannah, what does it mean to live a good life in your opinion? Very, like, subjective question. And I think for me, living a good life would look like having a stable family and a peaceful home and living for the Lord and reaching other people, discipling people. And I think that's the whole, you know, crux of, like, Jesus, what he was trying to say when he said, love God, love people. I think that's the basis of a good life, and we should build upon that. So. Well, there you go. <laughs> I <laughs> um, I think that, I mean, I asked the question, but I'm also going to give my opinion, because this is tell me how you really feel. <laughs> so I think that living a good life, honestly, is the same thing for me. It's when you are living for God, and, I mean, if you do that, things will align. I think in Matthew six thirty three he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And particularly this year, 2021, that has been my focus scripture for the entire year. I think in my, I'm 25 now, so I'm a little bit, I'm kind of getting up there <laughs> in my 20s. But I think before, you know, this time, I was focused on, like, getting through college or, like, finding, you know, a, a spouse or something like that. Or just like random things, ambitions and stuff that I wanted to do in life. Really what God has been trying to show me is if I'll seek him first, then all those things, all the desires of my heart, a spouse, um, you know, a really awesome job that I'm passionate about and that I love doing, all that will come if I seek his kingdom first. And what does his kingdom look like? Well, that looks like discipling other people, right? So when I focus on his kingdom and seeking him first, then you really don't even have to worry about that other stuff. It just will fall in place, like you just said earlier. I love how you just act like, I'm so nervous. And then you literally got behind her and you were like, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel. Let me tell you about Jesus. Okay, so Hannah is a psychologist. <laughs> I have a degree in psychologist. <laughs> Otherwise known as a psychologist. <laughs> Are we technically classmates? We go to the same college. Whatever, we're friends. No, who cares? <laughs> she's my friend. I think she's really cool. And so I'm really excited that she's my first person from ABI that I'm talking to. I'll just plug for ABI. Right yeah, there. I know. <laughs> Come to ABI. College days is coming up. Yes. Ah. <laughs> um, nobody knows about ABI, but it's okay because one day they will. So I always ask people when they come on how we met. I feel like it's a really simple story. But I remember the first time I, like, I met you. Okay. Shoot. Okay, so um, I ha- was visiting ABI, like, randomly. I was taking Sarah Harker back to school, and I was going into Sarah's room, and you were just, like, sitting in the Sarah's room because they're, they're both named Sarah. Shout out to Sarah Sleeves and Sarah Harker. Anyway, um, there you were just sitting on the couch, like, dr- in your pajamas, like, drinking coffee, and I was like, she's so cute. What? Yeah. And you were just like, hey, guys. And then you showed us your room, even though you didn't know us at all. Mm-hmm. You were like, this is my room. That's how I remember. Um, I remember that too, when you guys walked in. 
And I remember like, cause I've always been like somewhat shy, like around new people. So when you guys walked in, I was, I felt like I was like, ah, they're looking at me, they're staring at me, they're, um, they're like reading my innermost thoughts. And oh my gosh, you know? <laughs> like, it really wasn't that deep. Uh, well, no, <laughs> it's not that deep, bro. It's not that deep. <laughs> I mean, you like, I was like, wow, she looks like a cute mom. That's what I thought. You look like a cute mom. You were like, with you were like on the couch with a blanket, and you had your like. Your little teacup, or not teacup, what was it, a coffee cup, and you were just, like, cozy. And I was like, I want to be like that right now. Just hanging out. Yeah. yeah. And then you fell off the scooter, and you had a black eye. I remember <laughs> that <laughs> from that trip. Were you, did you go scootering with no, us? No, I was working. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I don't remember you scootering. But, but I yes, that. I yeah. came back, and then on church on Sunday, I literally had a Band-Aid over my <laughs> eye. And I was like, uh. <laughs> Anyway, I... Love Hannah. I'm super glad that we met. Anyway, okay, that was sappy, and I don't like being sappy. So anyway, <laughs> mental health, <laughs> psychology. <laughs> no tears today. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. I already cry too much at church all the time. Same. I've not. I've have never cried this much in my life since I've gotten ABI. Same. And I don't like it. Every day, chapter service. Every day, bro. Ryan. It's every day, bro. <laughs> Okay, so there's a few topics that um, we're going to hit on today. We can go in a million directions from this. These are the two things that I have written down. The Enneagram, because I knew that you wanted to give you wanted to give your input on that. Oh, yeah. Be and ready the, for an unpopular opinion. <laughs> an unpopular opinion. Um, <laughs> and then mental health in the church and what, what's gotten better and what needs to improve. And then okay. mental health in general. You can just talk about anything mental health. I think I want to start with the Enneagram. A few episodes ago, my first episode actually, I talked about the Enneagram. And <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a seven. Oh my gosh, my sister's a five. Oh my gosh, she's a two. And I was saying all these things. And I came to ABI and I quickly learned that people are not in support of it. There are mixed opinions. But for the most part, everyone's like, oh, I'm a seven, but it's not real. Ah, you know, like for the most part, that's what I've yeah. seen. I've never, I've never experienced that from where I'm from. It was like, that was the thing. You figured out what your Enneagram number was. And then we talk about it and we're like, oh my gosh, you're such a seven because blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when I came here and I f- saw the different perspective, it literally was like, oh, you're not wrong. My perspective has been changed, I'll say that, from hearing, I, and you've talked to me about it, and then also Deb has talked to me about it, and a few other people have given their input, and it, mm-hmm. like, it just makes sense, and so I'm just like, okay. And my mom also has done research into it, because she kind of felt the same way where you, where you said that your spirit fell off. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ugh, my mom's just trying to get on my nerves, <laughs> like, ugh. And then, like, I'm thinking about the things she said. Sorry, Mom. I'm thinking about Sorry, the things that, <laughs> that she said, and I'm like, okay, wait, whoa. Mm-hmm. I think it's really cool, the perspective that Hannah has on it, and this is tell me how you really feel. So even if yes. I don't agree, yes. tell me how you really feel. <laughs> so, Hannah, tell us how you really feel about the Enneagram. Okay. How about it? <laughs> okay, so first of all, I want to say, in my studies in, in my undergrad in psychology, I did study personality psychology specifically, um, and so I have a, a pretty good understanding of like personality assessments in general, what they're designed to do and how they operate, how the testing works and how they're measured. She knows her stuff. <laughs> I try to anyway. <laughs> I kind of have to like brush up on it. but And so I can give you resources to personality assessments that are validated by research, scientific research. And I want to say just before I start that there is a difference between the Enneagram and the way that the Enneagram is uh, designed and other personality assessments such as the Myers-Briggs or 
the big five or the MMPI, things like that. Um, there's a huge difference between how they are designed and how they operate and how they measure personality. So first of all, when we talk about things like the Myers-Briggs or the Big Five or MMPI, those things are measuring human behavior and how you perceive the world around you and how you make decisions based on those perceptions um, and how you judge those perceptions as well, okay? So it's very scientific in nature. The Enneagram, however, is much different and this is this is where my spirit kind of um, found it's like how would I call that? In other words, here she goes. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm stepping on the soapbox. Yeah. Now. <laughs> the Enneagram. Um, the Enneagram is way different. The Enneagram is all about me, myself, and I. The inward path, the way, and I'm putting quotation marks around the way, so to speak. Um, the Enneagram is deeply rooted within New Age practices and beliefs. And as it were, witchcraft, yes, witchcraft. 100%. You witch! <laughs> you witch! <laughs> You're all a ton of witches, I'll tell you what. <laughs> no, yes, um, New Age beliefs, witchcraft, those sorts of practices. But the Enneagram goes back even farther in history than just the New Age movement, which we're seeing today. And so I would like to take a moment and let's let's talk about the history of the Enneagram. So Around like 2000 and, I don't know, 18, 19, the Enneagram started to pop up with an American and more specifically the Christian culture, the church, the culture of the church. And I remember when I first came to ABI, I was in the spring of 2019. And literally within like my first week of being here, somebody ran up to me and was like, oh my gosh, what's your Enneagram number? I'm a number, I'm a one. You know, what are you? What are you? And immediately, like I had heard about the Enneagram before, and I had never taken the assessment. But when I first heard about the Enneagram, something in my spirit just was like, it just didn't feel right. And it just rubbed me the wrong way. And I hadn't, I didn't know anything about the Enneagram. Um, I hadn't even taken the assessment for myself. But something in my spirit was like, this is not a good thing. Um, and it warned me. And so I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to look into this. And at the time, there were several students that I went to school with that were just head over heels about the Enneagram. And there still are apostolic Christians who are head over heels about the Enneagram. And they have no idea what the Enneagram comes from, what it's about. And am I saying you're going to go to hell if you take the Enneagram assessment and you know what number you are? I know that I'm a number four on the Enneagram, whatever. Am I going to hell? No. <laughs> but I do, what I want to do is bring awareness to the false doctrines and false teachings that could possibly infiltrate the church through the Enneagram. It could be an open door for that. And we need to guard against that just as Paul teaches us to do in the New Testament over and over again. Because when we talk about the Enneagram, we're getting into stuff that is not much different than the first century culture that surrounded the early church. Okay, so the Enneagram itself. Its original origins come from ancient Islamic Sufism and mysticism. Okay, so right there, that should give you a red flag. Okay, maybe, red flag, maybe red flag. Like, okay, <laughs> let's see here. And I don't, I want to, I just want to throw this out there. I just want to see what your reaction is. But just look at the symbol of the Enneagram. 
The, like, star symbol yeah, thing? Yeah, look at the thing. Does that not remind you of, like, a pentagram or something that is very mystic? Like, this is probably not something I should be into. I mean, like, now that you're saying it, like, definitely. This is why I'm really glad you're talking about it because, like, I just thought it was cool. And it's something that I've studied a lot. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. This is so real. Like, oh my gosh, I'm such a seven. I literally can't. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I will say the one thing that got on my nerves and doesn't have to do with any of that. The only thing that got on my nerves was that people would use their Enneagram as a reason to stay in their bad behavior. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, oh, I'm a really scattered yeah. person because I'm a seven. Sorry that I'm a scattered person because I'm a seven. When in reality, if you know that you're a scattered person, you should try and be more disciplined and focused. So that was, that was my only thing like while I was studying it that I was like, okay, that's annoying. Stop. So yeah, so right there, I I just want to put in a plug there too is you're absolutely right and it's not just with the Enneagram people will use their Myers-Briggs type to justify unhealthy behaviors and to justify their unwillingness to work with other people of different personality types mm -hmm. because they find it difficult because you come from two different first of all two different backgrounds you grew up in two different homes two different cultures and obviously everyone when you reach young adulthood and you begin to step out into the world you're going to encounter people from different backgrounds. And uh, there's some hereditary aspects to personality, but a lot of it has to do with the environment that you're raised in, the school you went to, how your parents disciplined you. Um, your belief system has everything to do with your personality. So when you reach young adulthood and you go out into the world, you get a job or you go to college or whatever, you're going to encounter people of different backgrounds. And so sometimes you may find it hard to interact with certain personalities because your personality is different, right? But that is not a justification for you to say, oh, I can't work with this type of person mm -hmm. because I am this. Absolutely mm -hmm. not. Personality assessments are designed to help you identify your strengths and your weaknesses so that you can change, so that you can adapt your behaviors in order to live in healthier relationships with the people around you, even though it might be a little bit more difficult, right? Mm -hmm. I'm this is where it. we as adults need to stop acting like toddlers. Okay. This is where I want to say to some people, and I don't because I'm a, I try to be a nice human being. But <laughs> but tell me how you really but, feel. But tell me how, yeah, this is telling me how you really feel. So I'm telling it like I really feel. It is time for the American culture in particular to grow up. Okay. Mature yourself. Come on now. Okay. So what's really crazy is like I'm totally going way off, off uh, direction here. But I saw a book yesterday, I was at a half price book yesterday afternoon, and I saw a book called Weird. And it was about, the word weird was like, a, um, what do you call it, an, um, where every letter is like an acronym? Word. Yeah, an acronym for westernized um, something, something, something. But about, about American people, American individuals in particular, and, and how the American culture is so different from any other culture that has ever lived on the face of the earth. Um, probably going back all the way to the Roman civilization. And that is because America is probably the bl most blessed civilization that has lived in the history of ever, right? And we have all these things. We have money, we have capitalism, we have political freedom, we have a democratic society. And it has focused so much on individuality, right? Person to person, how are you different? How are you unique? Or how am I special? That we focus so much on me, myself, and I that other people are totally out of the picture. And that is where you get this idea of like, 
I'm an Enneagram type seven. And so therefore I can't work with what, like a two or a three, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Okay. No, that's absolutely anti-biblical and anti-Christian culture. Mm -hmm. All right. So we, as a society, we, as individuals need to learn to just grow up and learn how to work with people because I'm not preaching against personality tests. I'm not preaching against you having a different personality or all of us having different personalities because God made us. He designed each and every one of us with our specific personality, our specific giftings, our specific talents and abilities, right? Renee, you're different than I am. I'm different than Renee, but we work together with our different talents and our different personalities. We Mm -hmm. bind together and we become the body of Christ, which lives and moves and has its being in Christ, right? And so even when it comes to the body of Christ, there are difficult people to work with. We all know that. Sometimes I can be difficult to work with, right? But that is a part of maturing. Mm -hmm. You just have to mature past that. Okay, so there's that. I'm stepping off that soapbox. I'm going back to the Enneagram. (laughs) The next soapbox. (laughs) Okay, so back to ancient Islamic mysticism. So the Sufis would train with the Enneagram. And I have some excerpts from an article that I researched um, probably, I don't know, like a year and a half ago or something. Um, And let me just pull those up and I'll read a little bit from it. It says, the Enneagram would say that the person becomes neurotic when he fails to develop his essence. And just as it is the person's destiny to be a certain type, to reflect the divine image in a special way, to possess a characteristic set of gifts and talents according to the Enneagram system, so is there something special about one's primary function. So, the Enneagram posits, essentially, that you are destined to be a certain type. Okay? and you're destined to have certain gifts and abilities, and you're destined to have a certain essence. And the Enneagram goes so far as to say that that essence can be of, quote-unquote, the divine, or quote-unquote, the devil, all right? And basically what the Enneagram is saying is that when you, in that particular essence, whether one through nine, whatever, if that doesn't develop into, quote-unquote, the divine in you, which, by the way, is humanism, if it doesn't develop into the divine, you become neurotic and you become dysfunctional, essentially, which then turns you into, quote unquote, the devil side of you. The biggest thing that we as Christians, apostolic Christians living in the 21st century, need to guard against is the New Age belief of humanism. And they wouldn't necessarily call it humanism, obviously because they want you to buy into those certain beliefs of universalism we're all connected i have a question <clears throat> go ahead um i personally don't know what like i have an idea of what humanism is but i don't know for sure and also okay. i just don't know if people who are listening know what it is so if <laughs> i could look up the definition if okay. you wanted me to i'm just saying like we should probably give like a what is humanism so that you can elaborate on it so humanism is essentially um belief that we as humans are basically like gods within ourselves and so when you look at the story of the tower of babel that was humanism almost at its at its uh, peak essentially like we're humans and if we we all come together under one belief one doctrine and one way that we can accomplish anything right and some part of that is a little bit speaks to a little bit of like unity within the church because david said behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity Mm -hmm. why because when we unify together 
we can accomplish more together than alone, right? Two are better than one. Mm -hmm. It's the whole concept of unity. But I will give you the official definition from Brother Google. Okay. (laughs) We love Brother Google. An outlook or system of thought attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matter. So here we have part of this article which I will find and give you like the the link I mean the um, citation for and everything if you guys want to read it yourselves you're more than welcome but quote says the Enneagram posits nine manifestations of the divine image this is one's heritage as a whole person each participates in all the elements of the divine but he has a special purchase on an aspect of the divine face one area that he comes home to he can attempt to disown his disposition or distort it, um, but he cannot become other than that specific area, end quote. This is another reason why the Enneagram, my spirit just did not like it, I guess. It's because the original intent of the Enneagram was to say that you're a seven and you can't be anything else. Mm. That's what you are. And, and you'll never attain to anything more than that. Um, and if you don't use your seven whatever aspects mm-hmm. to the divine, then you're going to be a distorted, dysfunctional human being. And that's essentially what the Enneagram originally posited. And that's of concern, right? Because the Bible says he who is in Christ Jesus is a new creature. Mm-hmm. All things are passed away and all things are become new. And in Christ Jesus, we do have behavior change and we do have character change because of the power of the Holy Ghost. And so there are some key things here in the Enneagram that we need to pay attention to as apostolic Christians. So here, I'll read just a little bit. Quote, the divine image can become distorted into a devil image, a caricature of the divine face. One's strength or virtue becomes a vice if it is misused or overused and bent out of shape. Just as there are nine manifestations of the divine face, so are there nine distortions or ego compulsions or ego fixations masquerading as the real self. These represent nine realms of narrowed experiencing, nine exclusive or biased views of the divine, nine sets of wrong ideas about oneself, the world, and God. So really what it boils down to with the origin of the Enneagram is this is coming from a very mystical place that is not centered on truth at all. And that is really where we need to understand as as apostolic believers where this could become a problem potentially in the church moving forward. Now let's fast forward to today. Let's fast forward to like how the Enneagram came into the church, how it became popular again. So back in like the early 1900s or maybe even a little earlier than that, the doctrines of quote-unquote, the New Age beliefs started coming into being. And the New Age is centered around mysticism, witchcraft, and all about the self. This is the way, whatever the way is. Universalism, the universe is speaking to me. I'm sure we've all heard that at one point um, at our jobs, the people we work with, people we go to school with. The universe, I just feel like the universe is telling you to do this, right? Like there's some sort of thing that connects us all well, there is something that connects us all, and that is God, period. <laughs> but it's not this mystical mystical thing, crystal clear ball or whatever, mm-hmm. the way. No, that's not what it is, okay? And so the Enneagram became a part of the New Age belief patterns. And so then Richard Rohr, who wrote the book, The Way Back to You, is that what it's called? I think I asked that. I think, yeah, I think okay. that's what it's called, yeah. The Way Back to You. He wrote the, road back, the Road Back the to road You. The Road Back to You. 
He wrote that in 2016, and then the Enneagram started to blow up, especially in the church because Richard Rohr is a charismatic contemporary Christian writer. Okay, and then that's when it became a part of Christianity in America. So since then, it has sort of exploded within our culture. And I, all I want to do here today is just bring awareness to the fact that the Enneagram has its roots in mysticism, and it has its roots in New Age beliefs and thought patterns that are not consistent and do not line up with the Word of God. And we as apostolic believers need to guard against those beliefs because if we open the door here, we may continually go down that path. And we'll end up with many false teaching and false doctrines that will eat like a virus, so to speak, the church of today. So I have a question. So what would you say to somebody who was basically like me? I didn't know about, you know, where it came from, where it originated, how it's used wrong, all of that. I didn't know about that. But I know with me, I felt like I had pure intentions in the fact that like, oh, I know that you are, let's say a two. So... <laughs> you respond to conflict this way. And it would, like, it would help me to address conflict in the way that wasn't attacking them. You know what I'm saying? So like, what would you say to somebody who thinks that way? Okay, two do, things. Do you understand my yep. question? Okay. I have two things, two answers for that. Well, I have, it's one answer, but two points. Okay. The first point I want to make is, you know how the Bible talks about familiar spirits? Mm -hmm. Well, the way that familiar spirits work is they're demonic spirits. Obviously, they're not of God. They attach themselves to your personality. They attach themselves to your behavior patterns and your habits. And therefore, they mimic your behaviors and you as a person. That's why they're called familiar spirits, because they familiarize themselves with you and with other people, whatever. And that is uh, when Saul went to, King Saul went to visit the Witch of Endor, and, he and she was able to, uh, quote-unquote, call Samuel's spirit from the grave, most likely what that was was a familiar spirit that she was calling up that embodied uh, Samuel, the prophet, etc. Um, and I just want to throw this out there. The Enneagram, you might feel that the Enneagram is so accurate and so right about who you are as a person because the Enneagram was developed using familiar spirits. And so yeah, you may identify closely with your type on the Enneagram. Absolutely. You probably do because it was formulated and designed using um, familiar spirits and mysticism. That's probably why you identify so closely with it, okay? Now, the second point I want to make is that absolutely. I'm a psychologist. I love personality psychology. That was probably next to abnormal psychology. That was my favorite class in college. There are many resources out there, many personality assessments out there in the scientific world that do not have their roots in mysticism, they don't have their roots in this whole new age thought pattern and belief system, are validated and researched all around the world, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, um, sample sizes, uh, researched thoroughly that we can use to identify our own strengths and weaknesses and then be better people. Uh, people, people, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like we can better people because mm -hmm. we know those things. A few of those that I would recommend are number one, Myers-Briggs. Now I want to say something here. 16personalities.com is not a Myers-Briggs test. So please do not go on 16personalities.com. Fun fact. Ocean. I'm an ENFP. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the acronym for the big five is OCEAN and that's what I'm, it's openness, 
So like open-mindedness, how open are you to new experiences? Conscientiousness, how aware of you of your surroundings and like are you organized and things like that? Extroversion, obviously extroversion, introversion, we know we all know what that means. Agreeableness. So that's like how phlegmatic are you with other people? Like are you somebody who likes things to be a certain way and they can't be any other way? And so um you're not really a go with the flow kind of person. You have your way of doing things and you don't ever go outside of that. And then neuroticism um, is the fifth one. Um, and those are two very common tests that you could find even online, probably find a free one. I think truity.com is a mm-hmm. really good website for that. So what you're saying is that the Enneagram can't be used good at all. In your opinion, like this, your straight up opinion, yes, My no. My straight up opinion is I would shy, I would not use the Enneagram. I know that there are people out there that do. Mm-hmm. And I understand why you do. I know you have good intentions. I would just caution you. Just be careful. Mm-hmm. Be very careful that you are not allowing other new age belief systems into your thinking. Line everything that you read or see or hear about the Enneagram up to the Word of God. And here's really what I want to get to, Renee, is get in the Word of God. Mm -hmm. If you're not in the Word of God, if you don't know the Word of God, if you don't study the Word of God, I don't mean just read the Word of God. I mean study the Word of God. Know the context, know the history behind the books that you're reading, behind the author that you're reading, behind the audience um, that was receiving these writings. Know the Word of God, study the Word of God for yourself, and line everything up about the Enneagram and any other sort of New Age belief to the Scriptures. Does it line up and does it fit? Let the Word of God be your guiding counselor, is what I have to say about it. Um, I personally do not endorse the Enneagram. I don't study it. I don't. I just don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I just put the the line in the sand right there, so to speak. I will say, after hearing, I mean, I already had this conversation with Hannah before, and that's why I was like, ah, we need to talk about it, because I know that <laughs> her opinion is so different from anyone else that I've ever met. So I was like, yes, tell me how you really feel. But um, I will say, from just having the conversation even now, I mean, even since then, like someone asked me my Enneagram type the other day, and I was like, I'm a seven. If you know your Enneagram type, <laughs> if you know, I mean, I know mine. I'm a four, okay? I know I'm a four. Yeah. Whatever. But do I know necessarily what that means for but me? I, Not I, really. I, <laughs> I mean, I feel a caution, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, ever since you said that, yeah. I feel a caution. Just I feel like cautious, that's what you're trying to, yeah. And that's yeah. all I have to say. As with anything, right? Like, mm-hmm. I went to a secular university, and what was I doing in my classes? I was sitting there listening to lectures, and I was lining everything up with the Word of God. Yeah. If, if I felt like something didn't line up, I wouldn't take that into my consideration Mm -hmm. like my belief system yeah but what I did find when I was studying psychology is a lot of the things that psychology teaches is found in the word of God those Mm -hmm. principles are in the word of God yeah and so that's what I really want to say here is line everything that you read and see and do in the American culture today line it up with the word of God that is the only truth That Mm -hmm. is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Buy the truth and sell it not. Don't take these new age belief systems and make them a part of your life if you don't know what the word of God says about that. Mm -hmm. Because that is not truth. The word of God is truth. And let that be your truth for your life. And that's what I have to say. (laughs) Guys, fun fact. Hannah is going to be starting a podcast. (laughs) I am, yeah. So, you want to talk about it? I can say something about it, yeah. If she hasn't made it yet, she's going to make it, yes. though. I'm hoping, like, by maybe mid-November, I'll have, mm-hmm. like, the first one out. That'd be awesome. 
hopefully. Tell us about it. Okay, so sorry, we're taking we're taking a we probably a trail. need a break. Yeah, we probably need a break from that. That was pretty intense discussion. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Um, All good stuff. Yeah, so I'm gonna hopefully start a podcast here soon. Renee actually really inspired me because <laughs> she did. She, <laughs> she did. She really inspired me because not me about to cry. Because <laughs> I um I am a writer and I am very much the type of person who loves words. I enjoy words. I enjoy writing. I enjoy reading. And Renee really inspired me because I've always wanted to put my my thoughts out there to, like, the world. But I've mm-hmm. always been so nervous and, like, afraid. Like, what if nobody likes it? What if nobody reads it? Whatever. Um, she said, but Renee does it. Nobody <laughs> likes her and she's fine. <laughs> that is not true. That is not what I'm saying. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what I'm saying is that Renee is amazing because she is not afraid to voice her opinion to the world. And she oh. doesn't care. Like, I mean, that's awesome. That is awesome. She really inspired me to start my own podcast. And what my podcast is going to be called is Sacred Stories and Moments. And it's not going to be like a typical podcast. And I think... I think the majority of people that you talk to are going to say that they like podcasts and well, we like conversation, right? So mm-hmm. my podcast is going to be focused on spoken word and on stories that deliver a message about the word of God or about God. And hopefully through that podcast, it will minister and God can take that and use it to minister to hurting hearts and to mm-hmm. people that really just need him and really just need that sacred moment with him and hopefully that is what it will do so be on the lookout for that it'll be a little bit different but hopefully you guys will enjoy it yeah i feel like you guys should go listen to that actually i don't feel like you should that's how i feel but i'm, I'm it's a fact Tell me how you, really you feel. <laughs> need to listen to her podcast because hannah's really cool oh, i'm so sorry <laughs> Um, <laughs> Ruined! We have to start over from the beginning. Um, because Hannah's very intellectual and very well-spoken, and I think that if anyone could tell stories in a way that could actually like put a picture in your brain and actually interest you and keep your interest, it'd be Hannah. You guys, <laughs> you guys should listen to it. Look at us hyping each other up. Oh, look at <laughs> I love it. Um, um, other fun fact, uh, Hannah and I went to General Conference, and it was really fun. <laughs> And we, I learned, I learned a lot about Hannah on that trip. I like naps, and if I don't get naps, I'm grumpy. I feel like <laughs> we travel similar. You think so? Like, cause we both were like, we were dead. Like, yeah. So like, me and Renee were like dragging behind. Like, <laughs> no, it was really funny. So when she says that, yeah, I think so. Like, I would need a nap in the middle of the day, you know, like some downtime at least. Oh, just, just to sit down. Yeah. <laughs> Just take a breather. <laughs> take a breather. <laughs> literally, can I just explain how every day went? First of all, I wasn't prepared at all to go on this trip. It literally happened last second. The night before. Within an hour. Literally. Bef- like, I was like, oh, I'm going. Yeah. And I'm really glad I went. And I'm really glad that I went with Hannah and Savannah because literally love them to death. But I was, like, in the car and... We're like, I was like, wow, okay, this is cool. We're going to general conference, and we get there, and it was like we hit the ground running. <laughs> like, literally. And did not stop. We we got there, got ready for church, then went, to, then went to church. And then we went out to eat after that, and then we came back and went straight to bed. And then we woke up, went straight to church, mm-hmm. stayed there the whole day for some reason. <laughs> okay, literally one moment, it was Friday. And it was already like 2.30-ish. And so Renee and I, like, we're, we're starving, We put, we right? put our foot down on this. And we're exhausted. Like, and, like, we're just so hungry. And so we go back to, like, the ABI booth. And Savannah's, like, she's, like, um, 
Seth and Brother Frank asked me to watch the booth for them so that they could go get lunch. And I looked at her and I said, have you eaten? And she goes, no. And I said, are you going to? <laughs> like, are you going to eat? Are you going to take care of yourself? Yeah. And she was like, um, actually, she's like, I was thinking of putting an order in for Gior- Giordano's pizza and you guys can just pick it up and bring it back when it's ready. And I was like, okay. So... Yeah, that's how it went. Hannah and I said, peace out. I'm getting Chick-fil-A. <laughs> yeah. I guess you didn't get Chick-fil-A. She got, got tacos. tacos. Mm, they were but good, too. They were authentic. Anyway, it was really fun. But we love you, Savannah. Savannah, <laughs> I love you so much. I'm, and I'm the type of person, I like to be busy. I don't like to have a lot of alone time or a lot of downtime. But, like, yeah. I need it at some point. I can't just be, like, like, it doesn't necessarily need, need to be alone time. But, like, if we're just, if it's go, 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 at least, yeah. like, 30 minutes. At least. If not more, I'd prefer more. Just to like lay in my bed and do nothing. Yes. Just sit there and just not have to think about anything, mm-hmm. not have to look pretty, not have to just sit uh, there. Looking pretty itself is exhausting. For real. Know? And then we had to look pretty every day for uh, three days in a yeah. row. And I like on, on Saturday on the way home, I was really like, I don't even care. I look like I literally look like a hobo. That's so funny. So yeah, so. general conference is really good. Um, the next like little pivot I want to take is mental health in the church what has gotten better within recent years and what like what still needs work okay um and then also if you want to take that any other way feel free mental health in general mental health in society mental health okay whatever go for it so i want to start off by saying that in the past uh i would say maybe three years maybe even just the past two years there has been a huge shift to mental health focus and that is amazing because I'm sure that everyone listening to this podcast is connected to somebody that is a little bit older and comes from a different generation than we do and that generation or those generations rather have a very stigmatized view of mental health for that generation Mental health didn't really exist. If you were a woman who was depressed, they would just call you hysterical and that you just needed to get over it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, For that generation, it was men don't cry. Men are tough, right? And they deal with the problem and they move on. Obviously, we have seen extremely negative effects from that mentality. uh, Suicide levels have grown beyond measure in recent years, especially the 21st century. Um, PTSD victims, all kinds of stuff has skyrocketed because there has been a lack of focus on mental health. Now, I will say that I do believe technology plays a huge role Mm -hmm. in mental health illness, um, specifically anxiety and depression. And there's a lot of things I could talk about with that, but I'm not going to for the sake of like time and the focus that I want to go on. And so I will say that within the church especially, the last few years, there has been a huge shift um, towards a focus on mental health, and I I value that, and I think that's wonderful. And I think that we need to keep that momentum going. So things that have gotten better, people don't stigmatize therapy as much. Mm -hmm. As much. There are people that do. But I'm going to sit here and say right now, being a victim of child abuse and trauma who grew up in a home that was supposed to be godly, that was supposed to be an apostolic home, going to church on Wednesdays and Sundays, I was a victim of abuse and trauma in my own home. And when I became a young adult, I went to college, 
I started realizing that I had some very dysfunctional behaviors and very dysfunctional beliefs and views that really affected my ability to build relationships and be successful in whatever I was doing. And so I came to Bible college after university and the fall of my first year, I was diagnosed with depression manifesting physically in my body. Um, I was always sick. I was constantly in pain in my body. Um, I could barely get out of bed. My eyes were extremely sensitive to light. It was just awful, right? That is what depression does. Depression can manifest physically if you don't take care of yourself by going to therapy and taking medication for it. And I just want to stop right there and say, medication is okay. If you have diagnosed clinical depression, it's okay to take medication for that. If you have diagnosed anxiety, it's okay to be on an anti-anxiety medication. It's okay. And so I think um, the church, the church needs to continually destigmatize medication and treatment for these specific illnesses and disorders and recognize that there is a brain-body connection, okay? There is a connection between your mental health and your physical health. A huge connection, huge connection, validated by research. And might I also say right here that it's validated in the Bible. Um, a few, probably like a month and a half ago, I started a little study on the mind throughout the scriptures. And there is a specific Hebrew and a Greek word for the mind that Paul uses that signifies the connection between the brain and the body. Um, Paul says, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, I think in Tim, is it Timothy where he says, um, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That word for mind right there implies a brain body connection. It's, uh, in case anyone was wondering, it's 2 Timothy 1, 7. Right, 2 Timothy 1 and 7. Paul, he, he writes, and I, I believe Philippians, which if you could look this up. He says, but be ye anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, making your requests known unto God with thanksgiving. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Okay. Do you want me to read it? Please. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Jesus. So the Bible itself speaks a lot to anxiety, speaks a lot to depression. Paul said, I think myself happy in whatsoever state I am. Um, I have learned therewith to be content. The people in the Bible were just like us, okay? Except I would, I would say that the first century church, those people faced a lot harder things than we face today. And I'm not... I'm not minimizing anyone's pain, even my pain, even my trauma. Um, but Paul speaks a lot to that. The entire Bible does. The character David was depressed. David may have even suffered a little bit of a manic depression. Um, if you read through the Psalms, Saul probably suffered from, I, I would call it manic bipolar disorder in the scriptures, but there's no way of knowing that, obviously, because the Bible says that that spirit was sent to him by God. Mm -hmm. But there were people all throughout scripture who struggled with mental illnesses. Everyone at some point in their life is going to suffer a depressive episode. 
um, you're going to go through a, a season in life where it, things are not so good and life has just got you down and you will have a season of depression. Everyone is going to go through it at some point. Some people longer than others. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. There is a time for everything. And there is a season for everything. Even depression. Even anxiety. Even happiness. There is a time and a season for that. And the whole point of those few scriptures in Ecclesiastes is to tell us that in every season, there is a work that God is doing inside of us through everything we go through. Um, being diagnosed with clinical depression was a very hard thing for me because I had a degree in psychology at the time and I was shocked. I was like, how did I not realize, how did, not, how did I not see the signs in my own self? And I had to take a step back from everything I was doing to focus on resolving the trauma that I had been through and trying to get better. And I'm still in that process. But the point is in verse 11, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from, from the beginning to the end. Beginning to the end, God is working beginning to the end. Everything, he's working for our good. To those who are called according to his purpose, he's working all things for our good. What that scripture is talking about is the internal good, our character, our hearts, our being, our spirit. That is what that scripture is talking about. It, the circumstance may not be good, but God is using it to work inside of us. And that is what depression does. God is using that to work inside of us. And so, yes, it does need to be destigmatized. I think that also education is a huge part of destigmatization of mental health illnesses, especially within the church. I thank God for the general superintendent of the UPCI, um, Brother Bernard, who has a PhD and is a lawyer and all kinds of, he's a very educated man. Mm -hmm. And I thank God for that. We need that. We need educated people in the Apostolic Church. Um, we need people who are brave enough to go to university and learn and um, not be afraid to line it up to Scripture and say, okay, what is truth and what is not truth? Mm -hmm. And how do we address these issues within the church um, while being true to the Scriptures and also educated? So education is a huge part. I think that the more um, counselors we have, the more people we have who are educated in psychology can speak to the truth of these mental health illnesses, that yes, this is something that needs to be treated clinically with medication and, uh, and with therapy. Research has shown that 
the combination of therapy and medications together has the best success in treating mental health illnesses. Um, you can do therapy by itself. It just may take a lot um, longer time, right? And that's, that's the point of therapists is to help us get what's in our thought patterns and our minds out mm-hmm. and sort through those things and get our minds right. And that way we can have a sound mind. Mm-hmm. Some people expect it, I'm going to lay my hands on you and boom, all of a sudden you're going to have a sound mind when for 25 years you've had these thought patterns and behavior patterns that are dysfunctional right. and that are um, adapted to a trauma that you've experienced mm-hmm. that more than likely, and I'm not limiting God. Please mm-hmm. hear me today. I am not limiting God. I believe God can do that. I believe in the, in the delivering power of Jesus Christ. But there are times when we just have to keep taking the medication and we just have to keep going to therapy mm-hmm. until one day we wake up and you realize, well, God has healed me through the process of time. Yeah. A lot of times it may not be instantaneous, but take courage and take hope that if you are facing a mental health illness, you are facing your past, you are walking through past trauma with a therapist or by yourself, or with somebody that cares about you, take hope and take courage that Jesus Christ is walking right beside you. Mm-hmm. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Mm-hmm. He is with you. And it may feel like a valley of the shadow of death, but he is walking beside you and he will see you through the valley. Mm-hmm. So education, destigmatization, and I think the body of Christ working together is what we can do in the future. Like I said, everyone is going to experience a depressive episode in their life, more likely than not, and having the courage and the humility. And I think that's the key is humility to open up about the pain with people who are hurting and being able to say, I'm going to walk beside you through this because I have been there and now I'm going to reach out and help you through there because I've been there too. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think that in the future is where we need to go as the body of Christ. Um, You're not walking alone. I am with you and God is with you. I think another thing too is realizing that therapy doesn't always have to mean that you've been through something that may have been... That's true. ...traumatic. You can have a therapist. Not that like other people's trauma doesn't matter and that it's... Or not to compare situations is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is sometimes be like, oh, they're going to therapy. Yep. Because why? I feel like everyone should have a therapist. I, I know I know that I personally, I don't have one, but I've wanted and simply because I can't afford it. <laughs> but I know I've wanted it because, like, for me, the way that I process things, I literally cannot process a thing in my brain without going to worst case scenario. We call that catastrophizing. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a catastrophizer. <laughs> no, but I know, like, for me... When I when someone does something towards me and it may not even and it may not even be like super horrible, but I mean and I've gotten out of this mindset, but I know a lot of my teenage years were spent me in my room thinking, oh, this person looked at me wrong, they hate me because I felt like my problems were insignificant to other people's, and so I think that the the thought of oh you're in therapy, what's wrong, shouldn't yeah. be a thing if no, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely, I agree with you. Um. There are yeah. things that people can go to therapy for that are beyond the scope of mental health illness. It literally could be work-life balance. Most CEOs of companies have their own personal like life coach or counselor 
And that person is there specifically to coach them into work-life balance. Because let's face it, being burnt out is as much a mental health illness as depression is. If you are so burnt out that you can't even function in your daily life anymore, it's time for therapy. Mm-hmm. Okay, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. It's time for you to take a sabbatical. It's time for you to go rest, okay? that That's a principle found in the Word of God, yeah. is rest. We have to rest, okay, yes. as human beings. Take care of yourself. Yes, take care of yourself. And absolutely, Renee, like, you don't have to have something seriously wrong with you for you to have a therapist. Mm-hmm. It's okay, like, to just have somebody that you know you can go and talk to in confidence because they're bound by law. They have to keep everything yeah. you say confidential, right? Mm-hmm. And they are going to give you sound advice, right? And they're going to help you through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they know what they're doing. And then another key there is find the right therapist for you. It may take a couple tries. You may go to a couple different therapists before you find one that you really vibe with or that you really feel can help you. And here's another thing I just want to say is that I pray for my counselor. I pray for my therapist so that God will give them the wisdom that they need to help me Mm -hmm. because right now God is using my therapist as an instrument of healing to me and I want to be able to receive the healing that God has for me through that instrument right um just like if if we pray for people who go into surgery we pray for the doctors that are Mm -hmm. doing surgery right we pray that God would give them wisdom and knowledge and understanding and discernment Mm -hmm. to help that patient why not do that for our therapist too the Bible says God is a wonderful counselor And so when I'm praying, I pray for my counselor Mm -hmm. that God would counsel them as they counsel me. And I think that that is logical. And I think that's something we all should do if if you need help. I think another thing that I wanted to kind of go back to uh, when you were talking, you were talking about um, how people are just like, if you have a depression, you can be delivered right now. Mm -hmm. And like you said, God can do anything. He can do that. But even if the preacher, pastor, whatever said, come to the front, you will be delivered from, I don't know, insert sin. Mm -hmm. Um, You may be delivered for maybe that night, a week, Mm -hmm. a year, but the fact of the matter is sin is going to come back into your life because we all mess up. And it seems like the moments where God has healed me are the moments that immediately I'm attacked. Mm -hmm. And whether it's the same sin that I struggled with or if it's a new something or other, this has happened to me in my own life, where I have felt a healing from something, and I know God healed me. I know God healed me. But then other things that I hadn't dealt with from the situation come up. The things that I dealt with, I'm good. Mm-hmm. We're vibing. But then I, earned, I noticed that the next season of my life, it was like things that, from that same situation that I didn't deal with, I didn't realize hurt me come up. Mm-hmm. And then I have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And so, like, even if you are healed from depression, there's going to be another time in your life where that situation might come up or some undealt things will come up, if that makes sense. So that was another thing that I just thought in my brain. I just want to say reality still exists, Mm -hmm. okay? And, And God made reality. God made time. God made our bodies to deteriorate over time. That's the aging process. It's a natural process that God set in place for us as human beings. Um, We are going to die one day. Our bodies are not going to be like they were today, seven years from now, right? Um, That's just the way it is. God set that in motion in the human body. And in, in reality, bad things happen. 
because of sin, right? Because sin entered the world and now bad things happen. And bad things happen to good people and bad people alike. Bad things happen to children. Bad things happen to adults. Bad things happen everywhere at all times to all people. It is no respecter of person, of status, of um, of race. It doesn't matter. Bad things happen everywhere all the time. And that is a reality that we have to deal with and come to terms with over the course of our lives. And that is a reality that we have to be able to trust God with because yes, there may be a healing service, there may be a delivering service and the power of God is so real and so tangible and God can deliver you from something. But what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? Can you trust God enough through the process of time and healing to allow him to work those things that are inside of you in your innermost being out and to bring healing to you that way? Can you trust God enough with that? Can you trust God to use the doctors that you have to go see on a weekly basis for chemotherapy to help bring healing to your body? Can you trust God to do that? Can we trust God to use therapists to help us through those things that maybe we haven't even thought about in years or things we don't want to think about because they're too painful? Let's look at Job for just a moment. I think there is a misconception about Job a huge misconception about Job in scripture that Job was such an amazing man and had such character and, and integrity and he did have character and integrity and he was a great man of God but the truth of the matter is that Job was arrogant and Job was prideful mm -hmm. and there were things within Job's character that could only be worked out through the pain that he experienced mm -hmm. okay when Job says he says, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked will I return. But blessed be the name of the Lord, Lord my God. Um, he gives and takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. That happens in chapter 2 of a, I think it's 39 chapters in the book of Job, or 40, 30, 38, 39. That happens in chapter 2. Do you read past chapter 2 in the book of Job? Have you read the whole thing? Because let me tell you something. Job was not happy. Job was not a happy character for the entire book of Job. First of all, Job was angry. Job was depressed. He said, cursed be the day that I was born. He said, he literally says, I wish that my mother's knees would have caved in on me and I would have died the day I was born. He says that in chapter three or four or something. Job was depressed. Job grieved, heavily gr Job grieved. Um, Job was prideful and arrogant. He says when his friends were talking to him, trying to comfort him, he literally says to them, he says, who are you to talk to me, is what he tells his friends. <laughs> Job was so prideful, right? Job was arrogant. Job had many character flaws. Job was just like one of us. If that would have happened to one of us, I'm going to tell you something, we'd be right where Job was. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, for real. Let's not, pre we're not superhumans, okay? And we're not God. And so here we are, we see, we see the grieving process of Job throughout the book. And finally, Job cries out to God, and in his frustration, in his anger, and all of the human emotions that were given to us, and the absolute mess and wreck that Job was, Job cries out to God, why? Why have you allowed this to happen to me? And you want to know what God answered Job? The Bible says, then God answered out of the whirlwind. Finally, when Job got honest with God, is when God answered Job. Tell me how you really feel. Right? That's what <laughs> For that's, real. 
Honestly, yeah. if we're going to live in relationship with God, we got to learn to tell him how we really feel. Let me tell you something. God is not afraid of your emotions. God is not afraid of your questions. God is not afraid of your anger. God is not afraid of the question, why? Mm-hmm. Because he has all knowledge and all wisdom and all power. Okay, mm-hmm. He gave you those emotions for a reason. If you want an answer from God, why don't you try being honest with God? Yeah. Why don't you try telling him how you really feel? Because God's not afraid of it. And so God, God answers Job out of the whirlwind. And he says, excuse me, where were you? When I formed the worlds and I put the stars in place and I made the animals and the creatures and everything you see, the message I preached a few weeks ago was based on this, that God is a sovereign, supreme human being and creator, and he had the divine design and plan laid out that he could put the stars in place. Mm -hmm. He could set in motion gravity as we know it today. He could set in motion the planets in orbit, which is so finitely calculated by scientists today. God did that, and we can't trust him to heal us from depression over Mm -hmm. time. He can do it. He can. He can do it. And so that is like, that's huge. Mm -hmm. That's huge. And finally, Job was humbled after God spoke back to him. He said, you know what, God, you're right. He said, I may not understand why. And, And God never told Job why he allowed that to happen. But at the end, Job said, I may not understand. He said, I may not get it. But I trust you. Mm -hmm. I trust you that you've got a plan for this in my life. And you know what you're doing. And that's where we have to come to when it comes to depression and anxiety and mental health. Is as human beings, we may not understand. I don't understand why I had to go through the things that I've been through in my lifetime. I don't understand the trauma. I don't get it, right? And and there are times when I am extremely honest with God and I say, God, I just don't get it. Why me? And I have a pity party. Because there are times when you need that. You've mm-hmm. got to release that to God. Uh, why me? Why did this have to happen? But those are the moments that God becomes so real to me. Mm-hmm. So real to me. And I, I hope and I pray that through my healing process, that what I'm going through now, that even now I can bring hope to somebody out there that's listening that is facing the same thing. Mm-hmm. That God's got a plan and he's working on it. And it's okay if you don't get instantaneously healed. Don't feel like God has left you out. Don't feel like God has forgotten you. He hasn't. Mm-hmm. He is nearer to you than he has ever been. The Bible says he's near to those who are brokenhearted. And to those who have a contrite spirit, to those who are crushed in spirit. Mm-hmm. So if you're facing depression, if you're facing anxiety, if you're facing trauma from your past, if you're facing memories that are painful for you, if you're facing grief, please take encouragement from me today that God is walking beside you and that he is working not only on the outside, but he's working on the inside of you too. And one day you'll have a testimony that you're whole because you trusted God to walk you through that healing process. Okay, I'm sorry. That was like a really long time. Do not, do not apologize. I apologize do, please don't but apologize. I'm done now. <laughs> I think I'm done. <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, also, sorry if you hear drilling noises. For some reason, someone's trying to drill in the brick. I don't get it. What I was going to say is something that's always encouraged me in like really, really hard times, which you were talking about when... You get real with God. That's when God gets real with you. 
Absolutely. and real you know that's I've experienced that in my own life the, the times where I felt like I was in the darkest spot were the times that I never felt closer to God and although we don't want to be in those like dark places that's where our growth comes from and all that but the things that always comfort the thing that always comforted me whenever I was going through something and I was like God literally what are you doing um <laughs> was one time I was speaking to one of my friends who was talking about something that she'd been through and it was she was like you know just really emotional about it and um, I was just listening and something that I said which like in the moment we both freaked out because we both were like that's so good what <laughs> and I was like I don't know it's like God or something I don't know <laughs> but it's something, like God or something. <laughs> I something um, like that. yeah I told her that obviously we've heard our like if you've grown up in church you've heard your whole life that your calling is unique and there's going to be people that like there's gonna be people that Hannah can reach that I will never be able to reach and vice versa. And like that in and of itself is a beautiful thing and it's a reason why you'd wanna keep going because I can't reach the souls that Hannah's supposed to reach. Something that God said was that he creates you with someone else in mind. Mm -hmm. He creates your story with someone else in mind. There's someone else that he's thinking of when he, when he made, there was someone he was thinking of when he made me because he knew there was someone that I was going to reach and that needed to hear my story. That's something that keeps me at ease in mind. I don't know if that helps anybody else. That's, that's something that, like, whenever I'm going through something, it's like, okay. Not that I'm minimizing my problems and how I feel right now, but that's hope that, though this is hurting me right now, this is going to help someone in the future, and it's going to be worth it. <laughs> Drilling is, like, right there on the door. <laughs> I'm going to be like, God created you for a purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Any hoozles? Is there anything else you'd want to add? I don't think so. Um... But, man, listen to my podcast when it comes out. I'm yeah. super excited. Listen to Hannah's podcast. Um, I just want to say, you know, mental health, man, don't be afraid of it. It's okay if you're facing a challenge in your mind. It's okay. God can help you through that. I feel that the church is headed in a very good direction concerning mental health. I agree. And uh, don't be afraid of medication. Just, it's okay. And I keep saying it's okay because sometimes you just need somebody to say it's going to be all Everything. right. Everything. It's going to be, gonna gonna be, be all right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you need that. You need that reassurance. It's yeah. all right. It's going to be all right. So, Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Renee, for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank honor. you, Hannah, for sitting down and talking <laughs> to me. I actually really, really, really enjoyed this. I just know that you're going to do a really good job on your podcast. Because, guys, this is so funny. She Don't came in here. Too much. I'm going to fail. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. She came in here and was like, I'm so nervous. <laughs> So I was like, I'm going to have to talk, do most of the talking here. So I was like, okay, Renee, you got this. And then literally, like, <laughs> I was silent for a second. And she stepped in. And I was like, okay, <laughs> do it then. Do it. Thank you for sitting down and talking about this. I think this conversation embodies what my vision for this podcast is. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed it. If you want to follow Hannah on Instagram, she's H-A-N-A dot G dot Hamilton. And then if you want to get updates for the next episodes that come out, you can go ahead and follow me on Instagram at renee.millette14. Also, I'd like to apologize for the drilling in the background. I tried my best to edit it out, but it was kind of impossible. I don't know what they were doing. I still don't know what they were doing and why they were jackhammering the wall. But I didn't want to get rid of the content that we got because I think it was good conversation and I really enjoyed all of it. And I wanted all of you guys to hear all of it, even in the midst of drilling. So if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave um, a review, rate, follow, do all the things. Um, And until next time, peace out, word to your mother.